Virtual reality helps organizations train team members in an efficient and engaging way. But what should you consider before you start using VR? I would definitely never advocate for someone to replace their existing learning with VR for the sake of adopting VR. There's two opportunities. Where there is no solution in place, then VR can bridge those two worlds. VR can essentially take you on a applied learning journey where you learn the theory visually and then you apply what you have learned in VR. That's our guest, Jason Haddock, CEO of Sozo Labs. Jason will explain how today's new immersive tech can help solve some old training problems next on Powered by Learning. Powered by Learning is brought to you by DaVinci Interactive. DaVinci's approach to learning is grounded in 30 years of innovation and expertise. We use proven strategies and leading technology to develop solutions that empower learners to improve quality and boost performance. Learn more at DaVinci.com. With me today are DaVinci CEO Luke Kemsky and our guest Jason Haddock, CEO of Sozo Labs. Sozo Labs uses virtual and augmented reality solutions, apps, and gamification to build immersive learning experiences that get results. Welcome back to Powered by Learning, Jason. Glad to have you back, Jason. Great to be back. And thank you guys for uh, having me back. Well, there's so much to go over. In, in part one of our interview, we chatted a lot about some of the opportunities and challenges of using VR in education. But today we want to focus on how our listeners can leverage VR in their learning experiences. Jason, start out by busting some of the myths about VR. What are some of the common things that you hear? I think the, the biggest one, obviously, is that uh, VR is very expensive. I think that was relevant maybe five, six years ago. The cost of VR technology, I think, is largely driven by consumer behavior. And, and yeah, this isn't the first time consumerism has had a, a significant impact on our kind of business technology. But the price point has come down to the you know, the point where it's a very accessible technology. The second part is that it really only has a place in the entertainment industry and the gaming world. And that it's not a real business tool. I think although it has largely kind of found a place in the uh, entertainment industry, there's more and more serious applications being built in virtual reality um, and real, real kind of, of return on investment metrics that are being realized from virtual reality experiences. There's some others, smaller ones that I think are worth talking about. You know, I, I think a lot of people, when they think about virtual reality, think that you need a big, expensive computer to run a virtual reality simulation, which again was very much the case you know, kind of five, six years ago. You would need a big machine with a very powerful graphics card, and then you would have this VR headset that would what we call was tethered to the computer. So there was a big cable running from the computer to your headset. And um, nowadays, you know, the, like many things, the technology has now become untethered. So you can pretty much have a, uh, just a plain VR headset that doesn't need any access to a computer that runs without any cables running from your headset so it's making you even more mobile i think those are those are a few of the more common myths maybe a fourth one to mention is that building solutions in vr is also quite expensive 
And again, I think there's varying degrees. You can build things cheaply and you can build things expensively. And often that depends around kind of, of what is the quality you're looking for. It's that, that old kind of, of project management triangle of budget, time and quality. If you're looking for like a really kind of sexy solution, you're, you know, whether it's a virtual reality experience, an app or a website, it's going to cost the organization money. For me, that, that is very much a misnomer. Uh, VR doesn't have to be expensive. You know, like any technology, there's, there's cost-effective ways to build VR solutions. Very much a value-based decision in the end, you know, what, yeah, what's the absolutely. return you're going to get uh, from the investment. So tell us a little bit about SoSo Labs um, and how you partner with clients. And if you had the perfect client, what would they do to before you came in to consult with them to be ready to talk about potential VR applications in their organization? Start with Sozo. We are a bunch of software development engineers. I think where, where we have maybe gone in a different direction from most companies is that most companies will be gaming companies who just so happen to build augmented and virtual reality solutions because it generally tends to use the same underlying technology. You, know, you build VR and AR applications on kind of gaming, gaming platforms because there's a lot of physics involved in building virtual and augmented reality applications applications. You know, we're a engineering-based company, uh, part of a large engineering group that's done some pretty impressive technology, everything from kind of space technology that's being used by SpaceX to satellite radar technology that's being used by the Square Kilometer Array, which is the largest radio satellite installation on the planet. So we've got big shoes to fill. For what we generally tend to do is when we come and, and speak to a customer, I think sometimes we catch them a little bit by surprise because before we even start talking about virtual reality, we start first by understanding the business and understanding where their where their problems and pain points are. You know, we we want to be able to kind of partner. Now, in terms of a customer, um, we're looking for a mad genius, um, <laughs> someone who's ready to take over the world. More rodents, whose name is the brain, would be a good candidate. But seriously, um, I think there's a there's a little bit of risk taking still in 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 this, these kind of immersive technologies. We always talk about looking for the brave kind of of innovative leader is is our best type of customer. Someone who understands the technology, has tinkered or played with it a little bit, who really understands the problems that they're trying to solve and then takes that kind of informed logical leap of faith knowing and knowing that there is a potential for virtual reality to help solve this problem and in terms of i think what we need from this from the people um and it, it's not a kind of of prerequisite but just understanding the organization that you're in where the real challenges where the real opportunities lie and to be able to be a storyteller about your company is a really powerful thing because stories capture our imagination they have power that's great and i think the last time we spoke you talked about not converting existing training that's more mm. um presentation or uh theoretical and to really look at the 70 percent of training that happens more on the job or hands-on or informally and look at that for the opportunities for applications for vr so if you could talk a little about how a learning leader should think about vr in the context of a comprehensive learning solution using different modalities mm -hmm. that they're already in use and where vr can fit in that so I think VR is is a tool that can be part of what I like to refer to as a blended learning model. So I would definitely never advocate for someone to replace 
their existing learning with VR for the sake of adopting VR. There's two opportunities. Where there is no solution in place, then VR can bridge those two worlds. VR can essentially take you on a applied learning journey where you learn this theory visually and then you apply what you have learned in VR. And that's where the controllers come into play. The problem with most learning is that you're a passive observer in that journey. I think it's, and I'm, I may get these percentages wrong, but I think knowledge retention in textbooks is 5%, if in the classroom is 10%, and videos are 20%. Now, when you compare that to virtual reality, which has a 75% average knowledge retention, that's so high because it's through the application of learning. It's why, like recently, I picked up a mountain bike again, and I hadn't ridden for probably 15 years. But I didn't need to kind of go and re-study and relearn how to ride a bike. It was kind of ingrained into me because I learned applied learning. In in the case of of where companies should be you know, looking to to kind of, of adapt or integrate virtual reality learning is in the application space. So where can I see? Areas where learning can be applied that would increase confidence, that would help speed up my journey towards mastery. So, you know, in, in the hard skill space, it's by being able to tangibly do the things that I'm going to be doing on the job so that by the time I finish the VR experience, someone would look at me and go, wow, almost like they've done this before. And that's because you have in virtual reality. In the soft skill space, it's being able to practice and, and like we talked about going from kind of role play to real play, it's through that kind of practice makes perfect, doing it again and again and again, so that by the time you're in that high stakes real situation, and that often comes with time, you know, and with mastery. So what virtual reality technologies can do is they can help accelerate that kind of, of uncomfortable phase from moving from applied, like, like rote learning to kind of applied learning to ultimately mastery and adaptability, which are going to be the new superpowers in the future world of work. Yeah, that's really great. And I wonder if you could kind of take just a slightly different perspective on what you were just talking about and look at it from an instructional designer standpoint. So yeah. somebody who's really responsible for designing learning solutions, how, how should they think about where VR fits into their both their instructional design process and to the outcomes that they're trying to achieve? I talk about moving from a course to an experience when we move from you know traditional learner management kind of tools uh, like one pages or manuals or videos. And um, with the challenge, I think, with instructional designers moving into virtual reality is that suddenly you become more of a filmmaker. So you, you kind of have to think about the experience you're trying to create, the learning journey and the learning experience. And one of the best tools is, you know, to take a tool from the film industry and, and at, at Soho, we use a lot of storyboarding. So we make the learning journey quite visual. And because you've now, you know, you might say, but you, may, you can create a storyboard for a video as well. You absolutely can. But now suddenly the video becomes interactive. So now, you know, you're elevating what that storyboard is. It's not just a kind of a passive, like linear journey. You've suddenly got to think about, well, what are all the interactions? Um, what are all the things that this person can do? And you need to think very carefully about the human behavior. It's suddenly you're introducing a chaotic element into your learning journey, which is student, right? It's the learner. 
Um, and what I mean by that, I'll give an example, is you can think about every single eventuality of teaching someone, say, for example, we're going to teach someone how to fix a aeroplane's fuel system. You go through this whole process of thinking, well, what's involved in fixing an aeroplane's fuel system? I've got to kind of, of um, you know, kind of make sure there's no air in the fuel tank. I've got to do like, you know, kind of gravity beating, whatever it ends up being. There's like the super cool guys, garages, where they have that board at the back and they've literally outlined every single tool and where every single tool goes. And you're like, always think man i want to do that but you never find the time we, we did one of those um and you had to and we were also testing color blindness so you had to link the color of the tool with the color of the outline as well the developer did this was really really proud of what they did and i remember the first time i went in there i um i took one of the tools and i threw it over the side of this blast furnace that we had created and the tool was gone and I like took off my headset and I go, okay, so what do I do now? I've never seen someone who is more depressed than what I had just done. It's like I had literally shattered his world. He's like, why did you do that? You've broken my precious like labor of love. But it, it's, you know, when you're an instructional designer thinking of building VR solutions, you're not just thinking about what are the learning outcomes I need to achieve and how do I create a journey to get there as quickly as possible. You've got to understand that you're, you're building in this world that's alive where you've got to kind of factor in everything that this human could do in that process and and really think about you know kind of of how to define that or design that process because at the end of the day you know the, the most successful learning is where we can suspend our brains from like the difference between the virtual and the real world where we actually what we're in is no different from the real world because then we feel the same you know the, the kind of same level of like the, that the stakes are high here that the, there's there's an there's a level of importance and significance to this learning. And again, as an instructional designer, what that means is you've got to be very careful that you, you don't break that reality barrier. And what I mean by that is if I'm in a factory and I have to set the settings on a machine and then suddenly I go into a virtual reality experience and instead now what I'm doing is I'm setting those settings on a floating panel in front of me, it breaks the reality. So, you, you know, when you start to create the interactable ways that you work with a virtual reality experience, you've got to try and do it in a way that replicates the real world. So uh, there's a whole kind of, of um, industry out there called the user experience industry, and, and they've spent many, many years trying to kind of come up with these, these patterns and practices for user experience behavior and how to create these frictionless uh, experiences. But VR takes that one level further because now you've got to go from basically frictionless your user experience being visible user experiences where mm -hmm. you're interacting with things that would feel no different if you were using them in the real world. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the, the instructional designers of the future need to be kind of part script writers, part instructional designers, part kind of cinematographers, and part user experience kind of engineers. And so it's really kind of elevating that experience. For sure. And a, a fun challenge to be able to blend all of those. Um, and I'm sure one that a lot of instructional designers will be excited to take on uh, when they get the opportunity. And kind of building on what you were talking about, when you think about what approach to take when you're using VR to simulate a human interaction, do you look at using actors or do you look at using avatars? Do you see one as being more beneficial than the other, both from a development perspective and from a learning outcome, experience outcome perspective? The answer to that question really depends on, on how interactive 
we want the experience to be. Because the challenge with the technology at the moment is that a lot of headsets are not as powerful as computers. So if you want to have photorealistic experiences, then you're probably looking at 360 video. Video is by nature not an interactive experience. What I've seen uh, how people kind of of um, almost kind of work within that constraint is that they'll have the 360 video and then they'll have a user interface in front of you, which will be the way that you interact with that environment. So your pause will pop up, which again breaks that level of immersion. Um, so what we generally try and do is we often use avatar avatars for that interaction. Again, it, there's so many different things you can do there. And historically, I think the, the, the challenge you'd have had with avatars is that, again, you know, as, as little as maybe three or four years ago, you'd have quite a mammoth task. You know, you'd have like a Pixar Studios level challenge in front of you, being able to get the voice actor in to kind of do all the voice recordings, getting the 3D anim- like animate into to animate this character. You'd have a 3D modeler in to rig this character. And that would involve hundreds of hours. And having been in the animation industry, for a short period of time, I could see exactly how costly that exercise and how time-consuming that exercise again uh, was. So, enter the basically the the knight in shining armor, um, artificial intelligence, and it's fundamentally changed the way that we started looking at this. There are solutions, you know, where you can take a photograph and have a almost photorealistic avatar created of that person, which of course is quite a controversial thing because now there's a whole copyright. In the industry about what happens if you kind of use someone else's voice but you know you can either use one of the standard voices you can take the founder of the company and you can use their voice so there's a whole bunch of different things you can do which are making it really cost effective to to create these immersive experiences where you can kind of have these kind of live, live avatars speaking to you directly in the experience and um and we're actually doing one of those at the moment so you know we've We've used a platform called Ready Player Me, which allows us to create these avatars. We use a, um, a tool called Deep Motion, which allows us to um, replicate these animations with simple live action shots. And then we, we have something called Murph, which is our text-to-speech tool. And we kind of use all of these, smush them together, which I think is a technical term, and, <laughs> um, and out comes this kind of, of immersive experience of this person talking to you. In a, in, a, in a virtual reality environment. We're actually avatars, Jason. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if you've picked I up on that. But much, was... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, just... <laughs> Thanks for sharing that experience. Have you incorporated gamification into the, any of the serious learning applications that you've developed? Or how do you think about potential for putting gamification elements into learning experiences in VR? We're about to go into episode three here, so I'll try and contain myself. Um, so gamification is a big passion of mine, and it's got to the stage where I don't consciously think about whether I'm introducing gamification into experiences. It just naturally happens. What, why I like gamification is because actually gamification is more mirrored on behavioral economics, behavioral patterns and practices. There's really, for me, whenever I think of gamification, I think of full four axes. Um, on the one hand, you've got how we're motivated or what motivates us and everything from kind of extrinsic, like what are the tangible things that motivate us to the intrinsic, like what are the really deep-seated things that motivate us. I always make sure that we've fit in both of those in, in a learning outcome. So the, the kind of typical types of extrinsics are things like points, badges, and leaderboards, or kind of prizes and things. But the intrinsics is is kind of the reason that people do it in the first place. The 
problem with most gamification is it leans too heavily on the extrinsic. So, you know, you, you compete against people, you get scores, you, you kind of level up, you get badges. That's not the reason you learn. The reason you learn is that there's a goal, there's an outcome. There's, you know, we, we motivate it positively and negatively. So some of us are more likely to change our behaviors through positive motivation. You know, things like do it because it's the right thing to do. Do it because you'll change the world. Do it because, you know, it's, it's going to lead to better long-term kind of, of results. But reality, most of us are motivated negatively. We're motivated because, you know, like FOMO is a great example. Like, you know, that fear of missing out, like it motivates us not nothing else. You know, that scarcity, like I'm, there's only five people who are going to get in here. Okay, I better get going then. So I think gamification definitely has a place in immersive technology, but I also believe gamification has a place in everything. And at the end of the day, anybody who says anything that's designed in the world today that doesn't have some elements of gamification isn't looking hard enough because gamification sits in everything we do because at the end of the day, everything we do motivates us in some way. And it's a question of whether we're getting the right output of that motivation. So in other words, What's the positive behavior change that we want to see out of the process? And are we looking at a solution where we're getting the opposite effect because the, the motivational levers are actually encouraging people to give up too soon or to go in a different direction? Like I said, this could be episode three, but gamification for me is absolutely a resounding yes. It's something that I think should be in every single learning journey. We've seen examples of many learning apps that use gamification very successfully. All I would encourage people to do is just don't fall into the trap of thinking gamification is giving people points, letting them earn badges, or creating competitions with leaderboards, because that more often than not demotivates people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's about reminding people why they're on this learning journey and giving them subtle nudges to get them past the hump so that they can actually realize that, that ultimate positive behavior change that they want to see from that learning outcome. Yeah, absolutely. To get them to keep practicing, right? To keep trying to get to the yeah. next level. Jason, you can certainly see the impact that VR could have in the future of education. If you'd want to have our listeners have one takeaway, what, what would you leave them with just to kind of sum this up? We do have to have you back for episode three, four, and five, I think. But, <laughs> but what, what is the tidbit you'd really like them to think about? There's a real place for virtual reality. There's, there's opportunity in, in every business today, whether it be anything from getting salespeople to kind of all be more effective, improving customer service, to making people more efficient and effective, to optimizing processes. I mean, we haven't even talked about digital twins, but there's so many different scenarios where I think this technology plays a role. And I would encourage everybody to just try it. If you haven't put on a VR headset yet, go and find a friend who has a VR headset or you know, go down to the basement in your building to those creepy IT guys who probably have something <laughs> around. And, and just, just try it. And, and just think about how you can start to apply some of that stuff in the way that people learn. I've never seen anybody who's put on a VR headset who hasn't come out of the state of awe, um, inspired by all the new cool things that you can do with this technology. And then when you are sitting in that space and you're thinking, wow, I really want to do something for me. And I'll show you how to get real business value out of that. The possibilities are endless for sure. And we'll make sure that we put your contact information in the show notes of uh, the episode so people can reach out to you. Jason Haddock, thank you for sharing your insights and for talking with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for inspiring us uh, in our audience for sure. Thank you, guys. It's been great. And I believe that Vinnie Jones said it best when he said, it's been emotional. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
Luke, Jason gave our listeners an awful lot to think about, about how to use VR and learning experiences. What are some of your takeaways? Yeah, great to talk to Jason again. Key takeaways, you know, use VR to impact applied learning and practice. You know, you can get people ready to be on the job faster, making it take less time, making it better. That's what you can do with VR simulations that you can't really do effectively with other training modalities. He also had some points for instructional design, right? That you're really absolutely creating experiences. You're experienced designer now in a virtual environment. It's very different than two-dimensional learning design. It's interactions within an environment. It's not really content delivery, it's experience design. And you really do need to use storyboards to kind of map out what you want to do before you start designing those experiences. It's really, you know, a different environment for doing storyboarding as well. So when you're doing uh, VR to simulate interactions with people, Jason really uh, recommends using avatars rather than trying to do 3D video. Um, It gives gives the instructional designer and the learning experience a lot more flexibility with avatars and making variations in characters and in voice inflections and in all kinds of things that you can do there. And neat to think too that it's not just for hard skills, it's those soft skills that can be taught using VR as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I also like how he was talking about applying gamification in VR, not like badges and scoring, but really kind of empowering the learner to feel like they're able to control the environment or they're able to to kind of win by having a great conversation, a simulated conversation with a prospective employee or with a patient if they're a doctor or um, they're able to prevent a fire in a workplace or, or something like that, you know, you can really make it feel like you're winning a game. Yeah, you're building that confidence and that competency and that helps people perform better, helps with retention. So it's definitely a win-win when you can find those use cases for using VR and learning experiences. Yeah, it really feels like VR is at the beginning of increased adoption. I don't think it'll be like this big inflection point where kind of everybody's doing it or or you're using it for everything. I don't think that would be smart or effective, but you are seeing it, you know, starting to get adopted by more and more industries and for more and more applications where it really makes sense it can earn that kind of return on investment. Much more to learn about this. I'm sure we'll be discussing this again on Powered by Learning. Thanks a lot, Luke. Appreciate it. And special thanks to our guest, Jason Haddock, CEO of Sozo Labs. If you have any suggestions for a topic or you'd like to be a guest on Powered by Learning, please reach out to us at poweredbylearning at davinci.com. And don't forget that you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening to us now. 